0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: A very warm welcome to our special coverage of the COP26 conference and of course the web summit. We are live from Glasgow, Lisbon and the London studio. These are your headlines. President Biden says it was a big mistake for Chinese President Xi Jinping not to attend COP26, saying a date has yet to be set for the two leaders to meet.
2: We showed up. By showing up, we've had a profound impact on the way I think the rest of the world is looking at the United States and its leadership role.
3: BlackRock CEO Larry Fink warns of a massive market arbitrage if private companies don't catch up with public firms on climate policies, but tells CNBC that progress at COP is encouraging.
4: We have to be open-minded about what it's going to take. We're going to have to be brutally honest about beyond just the window dressing of big commitments.
0: Walking the taper tightrope, markets hold at fresh highs as the Fed gets ready to scale back its asset purchase program. But the chairman of UBS, Axel Weber, tells CNBC it's good that central banks are lining up to take action to anchor inflation expectations. I'm not that concerned about the imminent action or the priced in action that central banks might deliver. China's services sector growth picks up in October, shrugging off inflationary pressures as demand rebounds.
5: Facebook shuts down its facial recognition system and deletes data on more than a billion users. As Meta's Nick Clegg tells Web Summit here in Lisbon that the focus must be on the customer.
1: I think Frances Harkin has quite rightly pointed out herself I, I saw in, in evidence in uh, the House of Commons last week, users, our own research shows that users won't continue to use our products if, they, if they're if they getting a bad experience. Well, a warm welcome to Scorebox. Uh, the world leaders have come, the world leaders have gone, the negotiators remain, including Chinese and Russian ones. But, but... The U.S. President Joe Biden has called out the Chinese and Russian leaders, the leadership, for failing to show up here at COP26, saying the decision not to participate at the climate summit was a big mistake. Mr. Biden's remarks came as he wrapped up his visit to Glasgow, having signed landmark deals, hopefully, to end global deforestation and hopefully to also cut methane emissions and provide climate financing to developing countries. While well, speaking to reporters before departing Glasgow, Mr. Biden said that the US had made significant progress and that China and Russia had missed an opportunity.
2: I indicated that China and Russia not showing up in Saudi Arabia was a problem. We showed up, we showed up. And by showing up, we've had a profound impact on the way I think the rest of the world is looking at the United States and its leadership role. I think it's been a big mistake, quite frankly, for China respect to China not showing up. The rest of the world is going to look to China and say, what value added are they providing? And they've lost an ability to influence people around the world and all the people here at COP. In the same way I would argue with regard to Russia.
3: Although Chinese President Xi Jinping was not present at the COP summit, Beijing's economic planner has committed to cutting coal consumption at the country's power plants by 2025. This new law will force plants to consume coal at an average rate of below 300 grams per kilowatt hour, while any factories unable to upgrade more efficient systems will be shut down. The CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, says he fears for the future of the energy transition, warning it needs to be radically rethought. Speaking to me as part of a Green Horizon Summit here in Glasgow, Fink said energy giants selling parts of their businesses to private investors to appear more environmentally friendly could cause problems down the line.
4: We are going to see the largest capital market arbitrage in our lifetimes. And it's beginning with, you know, the, the uh, a, a, a U.S.-based newspaper identified that there's more movement away from hydrocarbon assets into private hands than any time ever. That is not changing that zero world. That we're, that's window dressing. That's greenwashing.
3: Fink also said BlackRock was focused on educating its clients about sustainable investment targets and where to put their money amidst growing pressure from activists.
4: We are being attacked from the far left and the far right. It's, uh, and um, and yet our voice with our investors has never been louder. And, um, and our growth has uh, confirmed that connections that we're having with more clients worldwide than ever before. Um, we have to remind both the left and the right, and we have to remind everybody, this is not our money. 100% of the money that we manage is on behalf of asset owners. So our job is to give them the knowledge of, of choice. We, have, we are developing many, many sustainable strategies. We actually have raised about $400 billion dollars in sustainable strategies. We estimate there's $4 trillion of, sust- of money that has moved into sustainability. So we represent about 10% of that strategy already. But uh, it is up to the investors to determine where they want to place their money. If they want to be in a, a regular liability, an S&P or MSEI or any liability, It is their choice. Now, what we're trying to show them through data and analytics that we're investing in, why we believe in the long term investing in more sustainable indexes and liabilities, investing in these type of strategies, will be the proper fiduciary strategy. So, everything we are doing is in the minds of our asset owners, and our job is to rapidly educate them and have moving forward um, and and so i you know, i don 't believe there's any other firm doing as much as we are in finance that does and that 's why we have the far right pushing us because they think we 're doing too much and I do understand the far left's views too that you know time is running out, and yet it is not our we're a fiduciary to the owners of capital, and our job is to try to educate them and move that, and, and we are rapidly doing that and building that, but, it, it, but it's not going to happen overnight.
1: Yeah, that, there's quite a lot to unpack there in what Larry Fink had to say, but we'll do that in a few moments' time, hopefully. Uh, today is Finance Day, uh, and then hence why we've been talking to the likes of Larry Fink with the negotiations aimed at mobilizing public. And most importantly, I would suggest private financing flows ahead of the meeting. Uh, we spoke to the man at the heart of international talks, uh, certainly for raising the finance. And that's the climate ambassador for the UN, Mark Carney, and asked whether companies were on the right path.
6: Well, look, there's you know there's a diverse capital market uh, out there, wide range of companies. There'll always be uh, examples uh, of that, of companies that underperform or CEOs, and management teams that get uh, get replaced. Uh, but this is one of the big tectonic shifts in the global economy right now. I mean, if uh, if you don't have a strategy for uh, uh, sustainable, uh, increased sustainability strategy for the transition, it's akin to not having a strategy for digitization. I mean, these are the two big forces uh, cross-cutting in the economy. Um, and uh, and if you do have a strategy and you're getting ahead of it and you've got to uh, have a plan, you're going to create a lot of value. I think this, you know, the, the, the Periphery, if you will, the extremes in the market, uh, the pricing has moved. So, uh, for you know, uh, certain types of fossil fuels versus renewables. But at the core, uh, it is that that revaluation has not yet happened. In part, because the plumbing hasn't all been there. As I said a moment ago, when you know we get to Glasgow, uh, we'll take a look at uh, uh, you know the copper pipes and uh, the other elements of plumbing, and uh, that follows uh, that follows the valuation and corporate action.
1: Final point, Mark, you're not going to get all you want out of COP26. None of us are going to get all that we want out of COP26. If you have to have one win out of the meeting, what is it?
6: Uh, The one win I would want is the bit that I don't influence, which is that the ambition of countries uh, keeps that one and a half degrees uh, alive, which is the core objective so that uh, there's additional ambition and countries step up uh, between now and when they show up in Glasgow.
1: So that was Mark Carney talking to me as part of a quite extensive interview we had uh, in advance of this COP26, an interview in which uh, Jeff and Juliana, I referred to him as the plumber-in-chief on the financial... I think he quite liked that one, actually. There was a wry smile when I mentioned that. The point being here is... You cannot have the energy transition without the financial plumbing in place. And one thing that is abundantly clear is that the West has let down the emerging and developing nations on their promises of the meeting you were at, Jeff, in 2009 and the meeting I was at in 2015, where they promised $100 billion would be turning up, PA, uh, for the developing nations to help finance. Now, let's part that moment because we've talked about that quite a bit already. But that is a drop in the ocean compared to the kind of sums we're talking about for the energy transition. Uh, an early part of that interview, Mark and I talked about 100 to 150... 150- trillion dollars needed and potentially available for this transition as well and that is a number well actually they're going to come up with somewhere in the middle 130 trillion today that gfans which is the glasgow financial alliance for net zero it's a whole host of big financial companies including larry finks that you talked to there uh, about mobilizing a vast amount of trillions of dollars rather than the billions that governments are going to be raising in order to finance this transition Uh, and that's going to be the big announcement today 450 plus institutions. The problem is, of course, it isn't as strenuous as many activists would like. It's not as strenuous about demanding their members don't invest in fossil fuels uh, and activities which are deemed non-renewable and non-sustainable for the moment as well. And at the moment of that kind of money that's going to be available, only 35% of it is deployed in renewable activities. So there is the headline figure, which is going to look enormous today. But then there is the problem, Juliana, that a lot of it uh, is going to be a very long time in putting to work. And the other thing I will make the point is, he said it twice to you there, and I thought that was very interesting. He's under political pressure from the left and the right as well. And that's very interesting because we talk about the financial markets here in Europe and whether it works or not. Larry Fink talks in terms of the political pressure on Capitol Hill, and I find that amazing.
3: And it's not just political pressure. It's pressure from activists, and their protesters who have made very clear that they are unhappy with BlackRock's ESG strategy. But coming back to the panel, the overarching message there, to your point, is that the money is there. It is about mobilizing that private capital, but the capital is there, and it is in the realm of trillions of dollars. But the conversation there really turns to what the public sector can do and to to unlock those funds. And you've been asking the question, is the financial sector moving ahead of government? And the message yesterday was that, yes, the financial sector is moving, but they need things like international standards to be confident in what they invest in so they understand how their investments will be treated moving forward. So it sounds like the private sector is looking for action from the top, but the money is there. Jeff.
0: Juliana, let let me come in. I think there's something that's not being said. And I think Larry Fink got the the closest that I've heard so far. And that's actually an acknowledgement of the reality of the arbitrage opportunity that some are looking for here. And it's not just companies, it's governments as well. And when I say that, The alignment of interests isn't quite clear at this stage. We know private companies want to make a profit. We know that publicly listed companies want to make a profit from their activities around this story. And we know that governments are keen to implement changes but unfortunately, there is always a risk that by doing that, you abandon an industry that then gets dominated by another country. And I think um, Germany's leadership in solar a decade or so ago is a very good example of that. Germany now has very limited involvement in solar manufacturing because that industry has been taken by China. And that is the risk here. If you move too quickly, if you make a lot of sacrifices and you pay a lot of costs, there is always the risk that someone who is moving less slowly takes away your benefits. And I think the hardest thing here is to recognize that the benefits must be shared as well as the costs. And at this stage, I think there needs to be a little bit more honesty about who is going to bear the costs and who is going to receive the benefits, because I'm not sure that that's clear. And I'm not sure that until we get to that clarity, we're going to get everybody signed up to the same agenda here. And the different paces of transition obviously leave huge opportunities for arbitrage. And I think that's what Larry Fink pointed out very well yesterday when he talked about companies saying that. A lot of publicly listed companies are having to move more quickly because of the regulations and because they are very visible, but that's not necessarily the case for companies that are not publicly listed and have less transparency.
3: Let me just flesh out that point, Jeff. I mean, he this is a big sticking point for Larry and a big defense of continuing to invest in some of these fossil fuel companies. It's that if you do exclude them from your your portfolios and force them to divest assets. That's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to put those assets in the hands of private investors. So you need policy that touches both the private and public sector to get those private companies to act in the same way.
1: Yeah, Just a couple of technical points as well. This is where the viewers will probably switch off. Article 6 is where a lot of these uh, financiers want to see movement as well. That's on carbon pricing, of course, as well, which will then equate a lot of those Uh, assets, whether they are private or public assets as well. Do you have global standards uh, on carbon pricing? And the other one is, Jeff, you were looking for benchmarks. Well, we're going to get an announcement on a new one today as well. And this is from our old friends at the IFRS, uh, the Global uh, Accounting Standard. The ISSB, which is the International Sustainability Standards Board as well, uh, expected to establish some globally consistent climate disclosure standards as well. So expect to see that one as well. But it's about accounting, so I don't expect many of our viewers to be that interesting. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, stay tuned for another uh, busy day of interviews from the COP26. The CEOs of Reket, uh, of course, uh, Laxman, Nana Seaman, uh, Nokia, Pekka Lundmark, uh, will join us to discuss their respective ESG strategies. Fike Besma, of course, who joined me at COP21. Uh, he's the chair of Royal Philips' Supervisory Board, of course, still a very senior role at DSM. He will be here to discuss private sector investments into transition in the energy sector. And Courtney Rattray, who is the UN High Representative for the least developed countries, uh, will come on the show to discuss access to climate finance and, Geoffrey, I've got another um, gentleman who's coming on a little bit later on. and All I can say is
0: he and I share a lot in common about our sporting prowess. Right. I, I hope you've been putting your best foot forward. Uh, I understand it may have something to do with <laughs> running.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he and I are virtually, virtually kind of twins when it comes to our running prowess, this is all I can say. But I'll show viewers a little bit later on.
0: Yeah, we're looking forward to that. Uh, we'll catch up with you guys in just a moment. I think it's useful at this point just to uh, dip into what the market tone looks like here. And this was a third session uh, where we've seen uh, record highs again on these US indices. And important, I think, that we just uh, pick out here the Dow Jones Industrial Average, 36,000. That number taken for the first time ever here, 130-odd point gain for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And the U.S. indices continue to steam ahead here in the early days of November. A couple of stocks that I just want to pick out for you. For their own idiosyncratic reasons, they do seem to have jumped very strongly. Avis Budget. This was uh, a rather beleaguered car rental company. And it has bounced back, and it bounced back yesterday in style on better earnings. But there were a number of other stories here that I think helped drive interest in Avis budget. It wasn't only the fact that the earnings were better than the market had been looking for. The uh, executives of the business came out and started talking about um, including EVs in their fleet. Now that seemed to encourage people to get more excited about Avis and perhaps in some way link it to growth and technology stocks. We had over 108% upside in the share price. The reality is, of course, that... Um, as far as we know, Avis Budget hasn't signed any leasing deal or deal with an EV car maker at this stage. So at the moment, it remains talk, but it seemed good enough to push the stock up over 108% here, which will be great news, apparently, as I read it, for a hedge fund called SRS, which potentially could make 5 billion dollar gains from this spike according to the times article i was looking at let's just flip the wall one other that i want to tell you about bed bath and beyond ah it's this side Uh, bed bath and beyond then Uh, so bed bath and beyond also had a very strong session and i think that the story that could link these two companies is the fact that this business um even as uh ultimately uh, it announced a stock buyback program and there were all the the good news stories in there around the numbers the fact that it announced a digital marketplace seems to have again ignited the idea that this company is transitioning into something that is prepared or a business that is prepared to use uh, tech and tech selling uh, channels to the customer as a way of expanding its market share. There was also a big deal announced with Kroger, which is also worth pointing out here. But Bed Bath & Beyond and Avis Budget apparently Two companies that are not connected in any way, but both of them having a very strong bounce yesterday on uh, suspicion that um, maybe some of those old meme investors got excited about the idea of uh, this association with technology. It seemed to take a lot of uh, traditional traders by surprise yesterday. Uh, Let's have a look at the Treasury curve. Important as we monitor the uh, market moves and anticipation Ahead of the Federal Reserve announcement, the 10-year note, key benchmark, 1.55 here, with uh, the two-year note uh, pretty much traded flat, to be honest with you, as the market continues to try and figure out whether it's running ahead of or behind of decisions by the Federal Reserve Um, Also, bear in mind, of course, that we need to remember at the back of our minds, is there going to be a shift in the way that the Fed is uh, stewarded by um, uh, the the current uh, Fed governor because President Biden is now talking about the next nomination? Dollar crosses, let's just show you what's going on with the currencies. So, sterling uh, having a little bit of a pushback against the greenback at 136.31 here, but To be honest, I think that becalming across uh, many of these other currency crosses indicates that uh, the markets are taking very much a wait-and-see view on this Federal Reserve announcement. Asia markets, uh, Japan is not playing today. Uh, They have cultural day uh, where they spend a lot of time thinking about uh, not only uh, Japanese culture, but also um, uh, the, the, the the language and the learning and the acad- academia, a- academics and uh, all that important stuff in Japan. Anyway, culture day. All you need to know is the market's not trading today. As far as the Asian session is concerned, well, you can see there's a little bit of a negative tone here at the moment as the markets uh, sit and wait on the world's biggest central bank making its call um still to come on the program then let's get out to karen for a little bit of a tease
5: and good morning jeff well we are going to be asking those questions about the impact of taper on technology but in the meantime facebook and its tech privacy issues continue to dominate the headlines here at web summit in lisbon as the social media platform scraps its facial recognition technology we'll be right back with more
0: Talk tech KakaoPay surged in its market debut in Seoul today with its value more than doubling from the IPO price. The South Korean FinTech company raised about $1.3 billion. Uh, Kakao, known for its chat app, will remain the company's largest shareholder with a 48% stake. China's Ant Group held a 39% stake prior to the listing. Facebook says it'll close down its facial recognition system amid growing user concerns and will delete more than one billion people's templates as a result. Around 600 million accounts had opted into the technology which can identify people in videos and photos. The company says regulators are in the process of providing a set of rules over its use. Well, let's get out to Karen, who's at the Web Summit in Lisbon. And I think that was a A bit of a focus for the day Karen.
5: It's still a huge issue here, Jeff. We were seeing the soap opera play out. We had the whistleblower on day one, Francis Haugen calling out the company and demanding that Mark Zuckerberg resign as the company should focus on user safety and data privacy. But uh, what we've had since then, the head of global affairs, Nick Clegg, and former UK politician weighed in yesterday. He is, of course, under the new branding of Meta. And he said there are two sides to every, every story that whistleblowers are entitled to blow the whistle. But he said that, again, most, of uh, what he says on Facebook most of what the company's about is really just babies barbecues and bar mitzvahs and I don't know what and some rabbit hole he's gone down. I haven't seen much of that on my social media account. So again, it tells you about what various people see and what the company does in terms of profiling. But Nick Leg was meant to be here in person at the event. Instead, we had a virtual uh, communications with him as the summit took him, his link from California. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. Let's just keep in mind that the link quality is a little bit shaky, but take a listen to the commentary.
1: The people who pay... Uh, who generate those profits are, of course, advertisers. They do not want their content next to unpleasant content. As I think Frances Haugen has quite rightly pointed out herself, I, I saw in, in evidence in uh, the House of Commons last week, users, our own research shows that users won't continue to use our products if, they, if they're getting a bad experience.
5: And Nick Clegg there, and just admitting too that Facebook would struggle to remove all hate speech from the platform. One of the other big changes we saw yesterday, the decision to shut down the facial recognition system. Don't forget this was launched back in 2010. It looked like a helpful way for people to identify their friends and tag them in some photos and videos. But then morphed into something more. We've had conversations behind the scenes too with the company about this, how useful that technology may be in terms of knowing more about the user, perhaps even more information that they didn't even know themselves. But it does suggest a change that the company wants to step back, that the information is now considered incredibly sensitive. Also, regulators not knowing what to do with that technology. We had a blog post yesterday from the head of artificial intelligence at the company, effectively just pointing out some of that uncertainty around regulation that the technology is still useful for security purposes in terms of verifying a user and avoiding fraud but uh, that is quite different to using this as a social media tool and don't forget the company has paid out fines around various laws in the states related to the uh, use of this one case in illinois another big case related to a, a large regulator fine so there are concerns at a regulator level and facebook very much stepping away from that